What's up, bitches? This is Nita. We have a special bonus episode coming at you this week. It's another part of our series, No Thoughts Head Empty. But this time, I interviewed my friend Kenzie, who is a huge Taylor Swift fan, and I wanted to pick her brain regarding some Taylor Swift history. We get into the Kanye drama a little bit. We talk about the Scooter Braun stuff and just, like, talk about Taylor Swift's career path and what the deal is on Taylor Swift. So we hope you enjoy it. See you on the other side, bitches. So we'll just we'll just start. Like, how did you first get into Taylor Swift? Oh God. Um <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's like going back like 10 years or something, honestly. God, the first memory that I have is when I was 10 years old, 12 years old. Um, it was when Love Story and um You Belong With Me were like big off of Fearless. Yeah. And she performed on the Today Show. You know how they have those outdoor yeah. concerts and stuff for people. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was on TV, and I didn't care. I was like a child. But my mom loved. My mom like knew that I was an artist and that I loved to sing and act and all that. So, so she sees Taylor Swift performing on the Today Show, and she like calls me in for from breakfast or something, and it's like, Kenzie, watch this girl. She reminds me so much of you because she's so young. And I was like watching her, and I was like, wow, she's so pretty, and her song is so good. And then I hear Love Story on the radio uh, every time we got in the car. It was the biggest song at the time, and I just loved that song. And I've just been following her ever since. It's kind of funny because she's had like a 13, 14 year career and I missed her first album. Basically, I got um, into it during Fearless. God, yeah, that's like the earliest memory. And I've just been following her ever since. That's so funny that you like missed her first album because I was super into her first album. Oh, you're kidding. I had this like group of friends. This is like, this is again where like the person of color stuff comes in but like they were all like white girls and they really Mm -hmm. loved her first album and I was like country music what is that like I've never heard it before and so I had that song Tim McGraw and we were listening to it in the car going to a birthday party for one of the girls like in the big van you know what you know what I'm talking about like right oh yeah oh yeah like a group birthday party and we were listening to Tim McGraw and I was like I love this song and then one of the girls was like do you even know who Tim McGraw is? And I was like, no, I don't. (laughs) I'm so sorry. I don't. And like, they really clown me for that. And I was like, I don't know. This is not my culture. Please like show me, um, tell me who he is. And then I like, wouldn't tell me who he was. Um, it was like, I was like, what, why? Um, but yeah, no. So I really, I really liked her first album. Oh, yeah, now I go back at it, and I'm yeah. like, God, our song, and should have said no, and all these, like, no bangers. Banger. Like, it is. It really like, is. <laughs> I don't really know how to, like, ask this, but, like, her, the trajectory of her career, like, how do you feel about, like, these very different, I don't know if they're aesthetics or, like, phases. I don't know. Like, how do you feel about, like, each iteration of Taylor Swift? I think they're called eras. Like we call them eras, like uh, eras of her career. I'm always really excited to see like what comes next because it always seems something unexpected. It's never anything that I can predict. I, at least um, other people can, I've never been able to. (laughs) I think what I really like about her and what has always drawn me to her and I, what I see in myself is that she always finds a new aspect of 
her personality or her growth uh, as a person, as an artist, as whatever, and, uh, and really explores that with her music. And I've always felt like it's lined up with like my own progression as a person. Like I was moving to a new place right when 1989 came. I moved to London right when 1989 came out. And like that whole album is like moving to New York and trying to be a new person. And that I connected with that album so much when that came out. And um, Reputation, I was just going through a breakup and like that really, I was feeling really angsty. And so like that helped accentuate that. I don't know. I've just always been fascinated like what to see what comes next. What does she want to explore this time? And it all, I've always felt that her music has gotten more mature as she's gotten older in her career. And the lyrics have gotten more mature and uh, intricate. It's not as much a personality shift. It's more what else of myself can I explore through music? That's really how I feel about Lord. And that's how I feel about Paramore. Because like when there's when Paramore's self-titled album came out, I mm-hmm. was like almost done with high school. And I was like, holy shit, like this is how I feel like becoming an adult and then um after laughter came out while I was in community college and like going through like a like a rough patch and like that album is like happy sounds sad fucking lyrics and it was like Mm -hmm. very like perfect um yeah that's like I feel that way of like this person or like this piece of music is helping me like project myself (laughs) onto it and it came out at like the exact right time like I totally get that that's interesting that you call like that you're like what aspect of her personality is she like going to explore I like that yeah um because like it reminds me of like a Madonna or like a Lady Gaga in terms of like major shifts like I wouldn't say they felt major until Red the big one because it felt Mm -hmm. more pop than country and I remember everyone was like what the fuck Um, what's going on what's going on now now seeing where she is now Red doesn't feel like too stark a distinction between her old country and like red because we know it doesn't reputation. And so you're like, that really wasn't that big of a deal. (laughs) Um, Hindsight's 2020, right? Exactly. Exactly. I have some questions about like her activism and like, how do you feel about her like journey as a pop star, like realizing that she should probably like use her influence? And I, and I, like, had some, like, thoughts, but I want to hear your thoughts on Miss Americana first. I remember, I was so excited when I, that was announced that it was coming out. Oh, gosh, I had, like, a watch party with one of my friends that also loves it um, as much as I do, loves her as much as I do. Uh, I thought it was really interesting, honestly, because um, I knew that she'd never really spoken up about politics. Uh, this was... And I wasn't really as honestly as involved in politics or cared about it as much until, I don't know, high school, you know, because you're young, you don't really know what's going on. So I didn't notice, uh, at least until it was pointed out to me that she wasn't as vocal about politics and these current events that were going on in the world. And honestly, I, I think she put it fairly well in the documentary where she, her, she got famous extremely young at 16 like when she was first thrust into the limelight with paparazzi and interviews and all that. 
And at 16, your political views and your thing I don't, aren't as fully formed as they could be when you're an adult. And so she's grown up in front of everyone and being told what to think, what to wear, what to, um, where to be at certain times. So to really step back and get a fully rounded view of the world around you is more difficult than somebody who has the freedom to explore different things without being watched all the time. So it did take her a long time to start being vocal about her political views and what she thought about the world around her. I agree with that. I think she definitely could have done it earlier, especially during the 2016 election. Yeah. And she's expressed regret for that. And I don't, I don't know. I, I'm a little conflicted about that too, just because yeah. she definitely should have done it earlier, but I understand her reasoning for why she didn't go forward earlier, if you know what I mean. I think watching it, my specific feelings about it were if I was Taylor Swift, or like if I came up at the same time and like became like, if I was like me, a brown person, I don't think I would be allowed the same ability to like step back and like not say anything about politics, I think. Right. I would be expected more so than she would be to like speak out on stuff. So I think it's just like, she didn't really feel like she had to. And also she was like dealing with like being 16 and like being um, in the public eye. I, I think that like that pressure maybe just would not have been as, it would have been more prominent for like someone like me than it would have been for her. And I think that's like my, that's the only opinion I really have <laughs> about that. Is that like harsh? I'm trying to like make- No, sure I don't think it's, out. I don't think it's harsh just because you and her, uh, well, people of color and white people just generally have a yeah. different experience. And unfortunately, it's very difficult to understand those experiences if you don't live it. Sure. And um, if, if you fall in a certain demographic in general, like you're almost required or expected to speak on it. Like the same way that women are expected to talk about balancing a, wor a home work-life balance or something in every interview, you know, like it, just because you're a woman, like you get asked specific questions just because you are fall under a specific race, you are expected to answer those kind of questions or you're expected to have a more fully formed opinion on something when you may not fully understand exactly what you want to say about it yet. For sure. What are your feelings on folklore? First of all, Taylor Swift does not drop anything by surprise. She does, in her entire 13-year career, she has never done anything, the day like a major drop like this the day before something else. She might have dropped a music video surprise or something, I, but never something as big as this. So I was actually walking to the British version of a Walgreens with my brother to like pick up a prescription. Uh, and we're walking through the street and I have her uh, Instagram notifications on when she posts an Instagram. And so I get a notification that she posted a picture. And so I pull it up while we're walking down the street and it's a piece of the album cover because she was planning on doing like the big grid of it. But I was like, what is this? Like a black and white picture of like trees? Was it a mistake? I don't know. And so I put my phone away and then we're in the store and then I get like 10 more notifications of 10 more pictures she posted. And so my brother was like waiting in line. I went over to read all the pictures and then there's the album announcement. <laughs> 
and I almost started hyperventilating. I am so embarrassed to admit it. But uh, my brother was like, Kenzie, oh my God, are you okay? What's wrong? And I couldn't verbalize. I was like, she's dropping a new album. It's going to have so many songs on it. It's going to have 16 songs. Like, I don't know how to handle myself. And uh, he was like, oh my God, wow, that's cool. But he didn't care. <laughs> But I cared so much. And so I started texting everyone I knew. But and then everyone started texting me because they knew I was freaking out, most likely. If she was like, it's coming out in midnight Eastern time. And uh, midnight Eastern time is 5 a.m. in London. So I woke up at 4.58 a.m. <laughs> and I set my alarm and I was the first I like as soon as it was posted I had to listen to the whole thing and I loved it so much I love it because it's so different than anything she's ever done like PSA to everybody if you don't like Taylor Swift because she sounds too Taylor Swift quote unquote this is not your typical Taylor Swift album this is much more reminiscent of Sufjan Stevens or Bonnie Vare or even Phoebe Bridgers or something. It's much more folkier sounded. It's a complete, it's not, it's not a pop album. It's not a pop album. There's a, there's like a, a trend people have found with Taylor Swift's music where the fifth song on all of her albums, uh, it's dubbed track five, is dubbed um, the most emotional or vulnerable song on all of her albums. So uh, Fearless was White Horse, which was about being cheated on. Uh, Red was All Too Well, which is the most famous song that she's probably ever written. It's uh, it, like mostly the most emotionally vulnerable with the lyrics that just gut you. This whole album is an album of track fives. <laughs> like every single song is the most intricately lyriced and it's sonically cohesive. This is the most mature thing she's ever done. It's not me. It's not Shake It Off. It is something else entirely and I just love the, the, the direction that she took totally agree me and shake it off feel like what she wants like how she wants us to feel like positive and like loving about ourselves but rather like folklore is just her actually just like embracing that like feeling rather than like mm -hmm. injecting it into a song and being like me and like shake it like do you know what I mean does that make sense no, I think so. It's less attention grabby and it's so yeah. much more demure, but lasts so much longer, you know? Right. I've never heard the track five thing. That's really interesting. Like Lover, um, that had The Archer, which was, um, she released that early because she was like, oh, I know you guys love my track five. So this is it. And that one's very much about like social anxiety. And um, right. Reputation was Delicate, which is all about like, does he like me? Does he not? Am I taking this too far? What oh, do I want to just these thoughts and questions in your head? And so, so it's just a trend. I, she's never done it on purpose, I don't think, but people have just noticed that as a trend, like with her albums, like she tends to put the most emotionally vulnerable one as the fifth song. I remember one time she was on Tumblr, God, Tumblr, um, and oh, there was Tumblr. <laughs> dress up like her because she looked vaguely like Taylor Swift. And so she would like do the red lipstick and like sunglasses, like very red era. And um, Taylor Swift commented on one of her pictures once and was like, I thought this was me. Like, I thought this was me. And I was like, 
when did I take this picture? And I thought that was really funny. I think I like forgot that celebrities could have tumblers because Tumblr was such like a weird place. Such a weird thing, right? Like, oh yeah. What what is Tumblr? Like, let's be um, real. What what is it? Hellscape um is what it is. <laughs> well, gifts and fan fictions and ships and all that. I was never into the Tumblr crowd, but I did get told like so many times in middle school, you look like you love Tumblr. You look like a Tumblr girl. And I was like, thank you. I don't, I I never had one though. I don't know. Were you in like any fandoms? No. You know what was? My fashion was like a little out there. I wore neon colored tights. Uh, My favorite was neon pink. And I had a skirt that had Van Gogh's uh, Starry Night on it. That's really yeah. Tumblr. That's like a very specific side of Tumblr um, that I was not on, but I knew existed. Uh, <laughs> so I think that makes sense uh, that people inadvertently are- was like- a Tumblr. I I could have been Tumblr famous if I really wanted to be. I like to think that. <laughs> okay, this is like the most divisive part of all of. Okay. This. So I'm just letting you know because I'm also stressed about it. Um, Let's chat. Let's talk about it. Cool. First off, can you tell me, like, I'm very still confused about Scooter Braun. This is not the divisive part, but I'm confused about him. Well, can you tell me? Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, I'm, I'm good at this. I had to explain this to my mom, like, fairly oh, okay, recently. Okay, okay. So. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. so Taylor Swift did not start her career like that, uh, as it, though it may seem like that. She moved to Nashville and was sending her demo to record companies around the area, like for a long, long time. And like walking in, uh, literally mailing her CD, trying to get signed. And no one would sign her because she was too young. She was performing in a Nashville bar when a nobody named Scott Bruschetta came up to her and said, I'm starting, I want to start a record company. I haven't signed anybody yet but I want to sign you. At that time, she did have another deal writing songs for, I think, Universal. I'm not sure. But she would not be performing. She would just be writing songs for other artists. Mm. And so she had these two deals of, do I go with this nobody that does not have a record company at all, uh, but I get to sing my own music? Or do I go to this other company where that is established, but I do not have my name? Uh, I, don't, I don't sing my own songs. And she ended up taking the risk and going with Scott Bruschetta. And she got big with her first album, then her second. And then his company, Big Machine Records, essentially grew around her. As she grew more famous, his company grew more famous, and he signed more, rec- more artists uh, specifically for country. And so I'm not sure exactly who they have now, but they do have some fairly large country artists. I don't really listen to country, so they're not that big to me. But they are fairly established. She had a record deal with Scott where her master recordings were owned by him and the company, not her, meaning she had the writing credit and the performing credit, but she did not have final say on if they wanted to use the song in a movie or in a commercial or to distribute the song elsewhere. Uh, She just had production credits, not total ownership of the song. So she was okay. She had never spoken up about that because A, she signed the record deal when she was 15. She trusted Scott. She trusted him because 
he was like her dad, uh, her second dad. He and his wife helped do her makeup for her early concerts. She stayed in their house multiple times. They were like family. Like he watched her grow up kind of thing. So when this contract that lasted, I think 10 years expired, she was now a very established artist that had two album of the year Grammys under her and through the company. Well, the company was, I think, going up for auction because it was going to be sold. I don't, I don't know the details about that. But um, she asked to buy the masters of her songs because she was now rich enough to be able to do so. And she wanted full ownership over her music. And instead of offering her um, a deal for payment, Scott Berchetta instead offered her a new contract where she'd stay with Big Machine Records and instead buy her albums back one at a time with each new album she produced. So she could get the self-titled one back, but then he would have Lover. Yes. And so is it just like a never-ending cycle? Yes. Oh, that's bullshit. Okay, cool. Obviously it's bullshit. So she didn't like that, and she had to make the decision to either stay at Big Machine and have this shitty deal or leave it all behind and leave her masters behind with her uh, to some other company that she would have no more involvement in and go take her music and her talent elsewhere to a different record company. Mm -hmm. And so she decided to do the latter and trusting her own ability to continue to make music and unfortunately leaving her past behind. So she went to UMG, Universal Music Group, and has been there for the past two albums. Now, that was all like news. That was, there was no problem there yet. But the big problem came when it was announced that Scott Berchetta sold Big Machine Records to Scooter Braun's company. Basically, the two were in cahoots with each other. And Scott sold his company to Scooter, therefore giving Scooter ownership of the masters of Taylor's music. Taylor was mainly upset by this because she found out with the rest of the public, allegedly. She said in her original statement that she was not told that her music was being sold and was not told that her music was being sold to Scooter, specifically. And she said, if I could count the number of times that I was crying on the floor or something, like I was crying about Scooter Braun and how he has been manipulative and very cruel to me throughout my career to Scott Bruschetta. And we've talked about him multiple times about how much I dislike him. I can't count how many times I've done that. So the fact that he would go and sell my music to him is a big insult to me and an insult to the relationship that we've had for 10 years. So that was like the first thing where she announced she was very unhappy with this deal. Then later, she had pu published multiple, more, multiple other statements expressing her discontent for this deal and how Scooter owns her music now, even though she tried multiple times to buy it from him and from S Scott Bruschetta. Another one being she was nominated for uh, our Artist of the Decade at the American Music Awards, in which she was slated to perform a medley of her biggest songs and she put in an instagram statement with the caption don't know what else to do she wanted to perform this medley but big machine records and scooter were stopping her from doing so because the award show was televised and because it was televised if she were to perform it 
it would be considered re-recording her music, which would be illegal for her. Uh, and it's not re-recording her music. She's performing the own, her own music that she wrote live for an audience. Like it's not the, tec- it's, it's, the technicalities. They can. It's get. so technical. What year is and this? So she, last year. So Lover had already been out, and so she posted on Instagram what was going on, and they, um, saying that she could only perform her music at the awards show. And she also announced the Netflix documentary. She was like, "I didn't want to announce it like this." I was going to like do something really cool, but I can't anymore because they're saying I can't use my past music in the documentary because that would be considered re-recording. So she spoke out against it, saying that the only way that she, they would allow her to is if she were to stop talking about them and to stop ruining their business, quote unquote, with her music, which is so stupid. And she's like, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to keep bringing it public. And so then, obviously, once they got the backlash, they let her do it, and they cleared all the whatever. There have been a couple other things, like they um, released a really old recording of Taylor Swift's music from 2008, from her original album on Spotify, that Taylor posted on Instagram. She did not allow people to do, and was like, please don't stream it, because the money goes straight to them. It doesn't go to me at all. And so what I think is really funny is that album only had like a thousand streams on it. So uh, how big she is, no one listened to it because she asked them not to. When was the sale of the music from Scott to Scooter? It was before school last year. So I want to say summer, summer, summer 2019. Who owns Reputation then? Scooter? Scooter. The only albums that UMG or Taylor owns is um, Lover and Folklore. Okay, are there any songs in Lover and Folklore? Because maybe I'm like, didn't catch it. Are there any songs about this in those albums? I think, I think My Tears Ricochet is. Okay, now we're going to get into the, the divisive thing. Okay, so Kanye West. <laughs> I know. You obviously know the timeline. I also know the timeline now because I <laughs> spent like 12 hours reading Researching about it. It's so much. It's so much bullshit. Um, it really is. Oh, it's like, it's just like nonsense. Um, did you, have you seen? Have you watched the twenty five, the twenty minute recording, the full one? The full one, yes, yeah. I have. Okay, cool. I figured you had, so we can talk about this. Here's here's where I'm gonna tell you how I feel about it, and I need you to tell me if it's like too harsh. Sure. I think obviously what Kanye did was wrong. That was stupid. The very first thing he did, very dumb. Um, should not have done it. Like, I don't think anyone knows how to talk about Kanye right now. Um, because he is just like this. <sighs> He's he yeah. needs help. Unfortunately, he needs some help. He needs specific mental help. And I grew up listening to Kanye. I grew up listening to a lot of hip hop and rap, as like a lot of first generation immigrant kids do. And like Taylor even was like, I loved graduation. I've loved like all of his old stuff. So like. We're familiar with Kanye. He's always been like a bit of a like provocateur. Um, now he's just like off the rails. But like he used to be like cool about oh, yeah. the ways he talked about things. Now it's just like not at all. Obviously, taking the microphone from a 16-year-old girl and bashing her in front of everyone is bad. That's not good. They then had moments of like reconciliation, I think, like in the mm-hmm. middle of all of that. She like wrote that song Innocent and it was like very sweet and they were like cool. And then what's weird to me is obviously like they've both profited off of this feud. So I think like in terms of like, I'm not mad at Taylor Swift as a person. I think I'm like mad at both of them as like public figures who have like yeah this feud going on for like 
far too long. Um, I think, like, I just think that it was, like, okay, guys, like, both of you need to stop. Like, this is just, like, too much. And I think the way the media framed it, not necessarily, like, Taylor herself or Kanye, but the way the media framed it was, like, big, scary black man makes white woman sad. And I, like, yeah. remember seeing that all the time and being, like, I hate this narrative and I need it to stop. Like, I just, I don't like watching this. And I think that there's moments where Kanye continues to instigate it. And there's moments where I think like Taylor continues to instigate it mainly with like my issue is the phone call thing. Um, mm-hmm. Because normally in rap music, Tupac was never calling Biggie and was like, hey, I'm going to write this song called Hit Him Up. And in it, I'm going to say I fucked your wife. Is that cool? Like they don't do right, that, right, right. right. So I figured the fact that they were like able to have a 20 minute conversation tells me that they are like, were on good terms at that moment. And like in the phone call, Kanye goes, I know you have an army of people that are going to come at me if they hear this song. So like, what if you launch it? And then she's like, actually, you know what? And if everything I do becomes a feminist thing piece. So actually I wouldn't, I don't want to launch it. And it actually might be lame if me, a white girl, launches your cool song. And he's like, actually, you know what? You might be right. So like they, they have like a rapport. And I was like listening to this conversation and he goes, I don't think that this line is mean. Can I read it to you? Tell me if it's mean. My wife hated it, but now she likes it. I don't know what, like, let me know. And she goes, ah, that's not mean. That's really tongue in cheek. And like, they talk about it back and forth. And, and then she goes, I really thought you were going to call me like a dumb, stupid bitch. And he was like, no, what matters to me is that we're friends and that it's cool. So that way, when I launch this song, people who are going to get mad at me because of this like big, scary black man, white woman narrative, you can be like, hey, I heard the line and I said it was cool. And they, and they end the conversation and it was like, pretty cordial then the song mm-hmm. drops i'm not talking about the music video because that was like very wrong but he also like that was bad <laughs> that was terrible but the thing is like he didn't approve it with taylor he didn't approve it with george bush he didn't approve it with rihanna he didn't prove it with anybody anyone so it was like not necessarily for me it doesn't feel like what a specific attack on taylor it feels like he's just like now he's like off the rails but what made me sad about the Taylor thing was the nitpickiness in which she decided once the song got big that she was not okay with being called a bitch. And I was like, but ma'am, you approved the line that he really thought was mean. I'm not saying he was considerate, but he like made sure that you were cool with this line about you guys fucking. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. then you're mad at the word bitch. And this is like sexist and has its own this is a longer conversation about rap music, but like the word bitch is normally not a derogatory term in rap music. Normally it just means woman, which is like, that's a problem. But like, mm-hmm. I don't think that because he didn't tell her the word bitch was going to be used. He probably like in his brain was like, ah, oh, it's not that big of a deal. What's a big of a deal is like me saying we might have sex. And it made me sad because it felt like she was originally cool with the line. Then the song drops. She hears it. She goes, oh no me allowing him to call me a bitch as a self-proclaimed like feminist artist is going to make me look bad so now I have to like go back and say actually I'm not okay with it and it felt like a moment of like throwing Kanye under the bus when he actually like was not trying to instigate the feud I think you're totally right that's something I've always been kind of sad about honestly because um they're both in the wrong 
unfortunately. Yeah. They yeah. both didn't do exactly what would be considered the right thing. Yeah. I listened to that call. And so the big thing that happened was, so first Kim posted like, yeah, that's a splice together call on Facebook, oh, no, not Facebook, uh, Snapchat, where she's posting clips of whatever. When you watch it all like clipped like that, it looks like she 100% agreed to it and was like, yeah, the line's great. We're friends. And then, so it looks, makes her look bad, like yeah. really bad. Okay. Cool. But when you watch the full thing, it's complicated. It, it, people were saying it, it exonerates Taylor because they were saying that she was lying about the whole thing, saying that a call never took place and that he never checked with her and that it wasn't good. But I think that her original statement on that was slightly misconstrued because, um, I don't think she uh, she mentioned a call never took place. She meant that a call Where took place. Where she said the word bitch. Yeah. Right. If you look at the call, like it, it, he didn't say that specific line that was in the song, which was, and she said that she never heard the full song before it was published, which was not correct. But I don't know. If it were me and someone were checking with me to see if, a very provocative line like that would pass. I personally wouldn't like it, but that's not, that's just me. I don't know. I think also there is a slight power dynamic there because I think she was 24 or 25 at that time and he was well into his thirties. And arguably they come from different sections of fame, I would say in music where there's not a ton of overlap with their fan base. At least I think so. I can't really attest generally, but in general, I don't think there's a ton of Connie West fans aren't big Taylor Swift fans either. And, and he's very successful, and she was successful as well. She didn't win her second album of the year at that point. She's younger and sees him, who's also very, who's arguably more famous than her at that time, mm-hmm. and just wants to not be in the center of drama. So to agree to the line and let it happen and say that it's okay. And then upon hearing it, realizing what you did and that you did the wrong thing and panicking about it and trying to save your image, mm-hmm. um, which wasn't great. It wasn't the right reaction to have, I don't think. But when you put it into a context like that is, again, fairly understandable. The full phone call makes it much more nuanced because they both did not the right thing i don't like the crystal clear right thing right is not is to say no and hang up you know instead of agreeing to one thing and then saying the other thing and yeah i think the nitpickiness is what like upset me was just like but he called you and he asked if it was cool and like in the in the 20 minutes they like go back and forth there's like a conversation she's like my image and he's like yeah my image and she's like, I know your type of music is different. They even acknowledge the like differences in like how they speak in their music. She gets to write music about people. He gets to write music about people. And it's like really right. there. Um, like, and I know that they're different. And like my friends are like, but her songs are vague and you don't know. And I'm like, but her fans are gonna find out that song is about hair. They're pretty like, good detectives. They'll, you they'll find out. Figure it out. They'll know, and then we'll all like know that back to December is about Taylor Lautner. Like, we'll all figure it out. So yes, it's vague, but it's still like, it's a different kind of thing. And I just was like, I think it's cool that Kanye called her and asked. Like, I think that's 
like nice. And I think that if he didn't, if he hadn't have done that, and then the song came out and she was mad, I would have been like, of course I would be mad. But it's mm-hmm. nice that he called her. I think that that's like, I don't know if that's like valid or not um, to be like, buddy. No, I yeah. I think it is. I think should she have been canceled the way that she was oh, in no which problem. she had to leave for a year? I, I don't think so. That was very extreme uh, because that was just wrong. The way that people attacked her on the internet about something so stupid, you know, I think that shouldn't have happened when it happened i didn't really see her get like attacked attacked so i was like oh holy shit i felt like what i was seeing was like kanye being like getting in like a ton of trouble so i think maybe we just like saw it from like very different places yeah Um, that should not have happened to her but i think like framing it as like kanye's fault that she was like ostracized i don't know if it was, like, Kanye's fault or, like, the media's fault. Do you know what I mean? No, yeah, I do. I, I think the media def- and social media definitely was, like, the biggest perpetrator. I actually, this is not really a tangent, but it will is. I listened to The Daily from the New York Times. They just did a two-part series on cancel culture in which they talked about what does that mean in today's day and age? Like, what does it mean when somebody is canceled and can they come back from it kind of thing and they talked about a couple of instances like uh amy cooper and the 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 dog walker that like called the cops on the guy in central park um and how she lost her job and lost a lot of things because people found out exactly who she was and contacted her employer and stuff and they interviewed the guy that she called the cops on who posted the video and he was like obviously what she did was 100% racist and wrong and should not she shouldn't have done that and I posted the video because she was calling the cops on a black man and she was a white woman and I needed to have some proof that I was in the clear for this do I think she should have lost her job and gotten as much flack as she did and is attacked on the internet i feel a little bad that i did that like i obviously i'm in the right and she was in the wrong but that was an extreme reaction from a lot of people that were not there that took matters into their own hands for that it's complicated because sure taylor might have done the wrong thing with that and might have reacted not great kanye didn't do great things either mm-hmm. should either of them has been publicly vilified in the media for the stupid thing about music that would have blown over in like a couple days if people didn't take so much of an interest in it in like attacking either of them no this shouldn't have happened it's such a weird gray area because like if taylor hadn't made that statement then kim would have like uh snapchatted the spliced version and then right. it would have been like it would it just kept going and going and going like it really like just snowballed And then, like, my other thing was, like, reputation became, look what you made me do, and, like, the snake stuff. And it was, like, it felt like a big fuck you to Kanye and Kim. I I don't like Kim. I also don't like Kanye anymore. It felt like, look what you made me do, Kanye West. Fuck you. I'm, like, writing this album. This is about, like, all of the ways in which, like, the media and also, like, it felt like such a strong thing at him. And then she was, like, I would like to be excused from the narrative. But then I'm like, but hold on. There are moments though where like you kept putting yourself back in the narrative. So it's like weird to me that you like wrote a whole album that is about the narrative. And then you're like, wait, take me out. 
I've actually been interested in this. I read a couple um, people's opinions and stuff on Twitter and all that and uh, articles about reputation because that's arguably the most divisive album for fans of Taylor. Some people thought that she was being very petty and was kept going into old drama in order to create content. And other people, I'm putting myself into this group because I absolutely love that album. Take it for a metaphorical stance. So Look What You Made Me Do is not my favorite song that she's ever written, but it's my favorite debut of a new era that she's ever done. And striking. Oh, yeah. If you picture, like, oh, you should, uh, were you, to be a fan of Taylor Swift at that time, she's radio silent for three years. She deletes her entire social media, all of her Instagram pictures gone, Twitter gone, everything's gone. Everyone's talking, like, what's going on? Was she hacked? Then you see the three pictures of the snake. She drops this song completely different than anything else she's ever done. It got people talking. I love in the music video, though, all of the old Taylors. Like, I like that. That's really cool. I think that's very cool. But the reactionary-ness of reputation is, like, what put me off, I think. I've been looking at it. Well, I saw an opinion. um, This is kind of stupid, but... I'm on TikTok and I, I'm on quote unquote Swift talk, which is oh people that make TikToks for Taylor Swift. And uh, I saw an opinion on there where the guy said, I don't take Taylor Swift's album reputation as petty. I think if you do think it that it is, you are the audience that this album is for. Because very much like Blank Space, where she made a satirical song about how the media sees her as this man-stealing, new-guy-every-minute kind of girl that just flaunts around the world, picking up a new man and dropping the next one. This is playing into, like, look what you made me do, and um, this is why we can't have nice things. Play into this media's version of her as petty, as creating drama and vilifying everyone else other than her. It's doing it on purpose because that's what the media made her out to be. Because the music video is just like so intense. It's almost meant to be not taken seriously in order to see the stupidity of the drama behind it. You know, I don't know if that's correct. I don't know if that's what she meant, but I can see the argument for it. Because every other song on that album is much more centered in her life away from the public eye and her new budding relationship that she was starting right as her reputation went down the tank. It's only two or three songs on that album that really focus on other people's perception of her versus just the few people she cares about. That thing brings up the satire paradox, which is like, by performing the thing, does it confirm the beliefs about her by like taking on the persona and then like making it and then she's like well like by performing pettiness is she actually being petty or is it like a subversion on pettiness it's like just the problem with satire in any form like mel brooks has the same issues like jojo rabbit has like we talked about that right maybe it's also just me too or the line the old taylor can't come to the phone right now why she's dead she's too good of a lyricist to do that on purpose yeah like it feels like and like that's such a memeable thing to say like my friend armand and i still make jokes about that oh it's classic 
I think it was more so like not reputation the album, but like reputation the lead up to the album, like all the snake stuff and like the way she like continues to call Kanye Kanye West a bully. She's like, they're gonna be bullies to like try to take credit for your fame. Oh, in her album of the year speech. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, but ma'am, you said famous was okay. Like you said he could write it. It's just like it's just like weird to me. And it's also weird to me that like she has continued to call him a bully, which he is, but like continue this narrative still, even after I think when the 20 minute video was leaked was like this year during the pandemic I don't know during the pandemic yeah Yeah, I was like I don't know what time is like still calling him a bully when like there are people out there who like arguably hurt her way more like Scooter Mm. Braun like Scott and that guy she like sued the lawsuit guy and got like a dollar from him maybe I'm like reading into it but it's like most of those other people are like white And it's just interesting to me that she continues to, like, this is not the hill she's going to die on, because I think that there's nothing in folklore about it. She definitely has fodder for more material, you know? (laughs) Yeah, no, exactly. And I think I was just, like, seeing, like, a race difference. I was just like, well, why do you continue to go after him when you both have, like, profited off of it? You could just, like, stop. (laughs) <laughs> like you know it's we're done it's not 2016 anymore <laughs> from that phone call it just seemed like they were like chill or at least as chill as you could be after something like that happened right not on like best friend terms but almost colleague terms you know like yeah we're- colleague colleague like equals in fame and like able to cordially let each other know about their career I mean, she, that was like around the time, I think it was before him, but that was when she presented his MTV award for like Lifetime Achievement or something. Yeah. I made a playlist of all the songs I like of hers. There's like a few songs that I'm like, I don't like these at all. But Which ones? Like, I'm curious. I, let me see. They're in my notes. Hey, Steven. So Bop. Just, love it. I really don't like it. I don't know why. Um, really? Song, yeah, I don't know what it is. I just don't it's, like it. It's very youthful, you know? Like, it's yeah. youth crush. Me? I really don't like me. No one does. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm so sad. I'm like, you dragged Fred and Yuri of Panic at the Disco into <laughs> this. Like, leave him be. <laughs> um, I'm so mad she didn't lead Lover with Cruel Summer. Why didn't she open with Cruel Summer? That was the best song on that album, and it did deserve so much more. Was it Blank Space that she released with 1989? Was that, like, the big song? First was Shake It Off, then was Blank Space. Exactly. Someone was like, Taylor Swift always picks, like, not the best song to release first, and then the second one or the third one is always, like, the much better song. I think. Yeah. I think. No, that's that's a trend Does for sure. But though for Lover, she did release You Need to Calm Down yes. second. Yeah. And <laughs> she botched I, Lover. Honestly, she really did. Because the first two songs I fucking heard were Me and You Need to Calm Down. And I was like, what is this? And then the rest of Lover is actually really fun. Um, Amelia Streets, Cruel Summer, Death by a Thousand Cuts. It's very immaculate. And I used to live very close to, to Cornelia Street. And I was like, uh, I remember walking down it and being like, oh my god, there's, that's it. That's where I am. Yeah, no, I feel the same. Yeah, I really like Delicate off of Reputation. That's, I think, my favorite song from Reputation. There's, like, a few. Oh, like, I like that one. There's a few that are just, like, weird to me that I'm like, this is so not, like, this is, like, just so odd to me. But 
I like commend her for trying. You know what I mean? I'm like, cool, good for you for like trying to figure this out. You tried it, you, you know? Tr- you tried it. You tried it and like, good job. Um, and I also think that like maybe I was being like, cause we're also like in our 20s. And so like the experimentalness is there. We're just not right. like in front of the entire world. So I think like, it's totally fine that she's, like, doing all of this. I also think she probably, like, has less people telling her no than telling her yes. So, like, I think with, like, the Madonnas and the Lady Gagas is, like, a much more curated, intensely crafted personas. Absolutely. Are shown to people. And then I think with Taylor, it's a little, like, I don't want to say messier, but it's, like, just a little more, like, let's figure this out as it's happening yeah Mm -hmm. and I think like maybe that's why people gravitate towards her in a different way than people gravitate towards like Lady Gaga because it feels like more amorphous or whatever Folklore the new album she wrote it in like a couple months in quarantine but apparently her record label didn't even know that she was going to release it until the day before Right. So there's a lot of like following an impulse and being like, okay, well, great. I'm going to write reputation. And this is like, this is going to be it. And like, maybe it's like less, there's less, there's less like vetting of each persona, I think. Right. To put it this way, like if these were two people that I didn't know at all, and they were just normal people, to put it like, obviously it can't be normal people because they're music videos and lyrics or whatever. But if you put it down to its bare bones where somebody told somebody else that they were going to do something and then did something slightly different. And the first person took offense to that. I would side with Taylor just because I think she was more in the right, but that doesn't mean that either of them are completely exonerated. Like if I had to pick a side, I would pick hers, even if I liked her and I didn't and I didn't know him. Yeah, it's just too nuanced to like really make a completely definitive, this is the correct person in this scenario. But I, I can see both sides. Why did she like go away for three years? Was it because of that? Partly, yes. I think it was also just because she definitely needed a break. She was on a... Like, if her life at that point was write an album, promote it, release it, tour it while writing the next album within two years. And then that cycle would repeat up until 1989. So that's four albums. That's exhausting. Constantly going. So I think it's partly because she definitely needed a break. I think it's partly because she felt nobody really wanted to see her. In Miss Americana, I think that's when she was struggling with her eating disorder. And she just needed to step away from the limelight at that point in her life. Everything kind of came to a head. She needed a break, which is understandable. Like, I can't imagine how exhausting that would be. I think until Miss Americana, it felt like the way she framed it was like, I went away because, like, Kanye made me sad. Like, is what, what I read into it, I think. But now after, like, seeing Miss Americana, I was like, okay, wait, you have so much other shit. But the way reputation was framed was like, I'm back and I'm better than ever and like, fuck my haters. Which like, yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's not, it's definitely not my favorite era of Taylor Swift. Um, but I also- think fashion wise, it is my favorite era. I'm still trying to move my wardrobe into that era. Like, mm, those boots, the combat, she even works camo. Like, I'm for it. <laughs> 
<laughs> I I agree. I also wait. Bad Blood is from blank is from 1989, right? Yeah. I really like that music video. I feel like it was like on its way to a reputation place, and I really love that music video. So that was the music video with the Nick, Nicki Minaj thing because that was the right. year Honda happened. Um, and then Beyonce, 7-Eleven, and then Taylor Swift's Bad Blood, and then, like, three other dudes were nominated, and Nicki Minaj was not. And, like, I remember, like, Anaconda was super big. Like, it was, like, mm-hmm. iconic. Um, Boy, Toy, and Troy. Nicki Minaj was, like, why is it only slim women that get nominated for music videos? And, like, what's allowed to be seen of black and, like, black and brown women? And I was, like, oh, that's a really interesting, nuanced thing to say not just like black or white or like men and women she was like it's weird to me that like it's only slim women that get nominated for a music video so like what the like people who decide like want to see is like slimmer women and not women that look like me and then taylor swift tweeted like oh what maybe one of the guys took your spot one of the men took your Um, spot yeah to me it felt like her like brand at the time of feminism was like no no women shouldn't fight other women let's all lift each other up maybe it was like the guys and it was like no no no, taylor like that's not what that's not the point that's not what nikki was saying she was saying that like she her she had her, her, like, whole ass out, and that's why people were mad. So, like, it was it was just an interesting thing to me. I don't think Taylor Swift is racist. That's, like, no. I just think she doesn't know how to have that discourse yet. No, I agree with that. She definitely felt like that tweet was subtweeting her. And it felt like in that moment, like, her activism was kind of, like, reactionary. It was like, mm-hmm. no, like, don't pit us against each other. Like, I promise I'm not the problem. It might be this other thing. Is like, a very reactionary response. And I think what I'm scared of with Taylor Swift, not scared of, I don't know if that's the right word, in framing herself throughout the years, like, this is just, like, a consistent narrative of, like, being the underdog and, like, being the person that, like, always comes back and, like, takes the power back right which is not necessarily a bad thing it's actually quite kind of cool like to see like with reputation to see her like take it back and be like well people like spammed me with snake emojis so now my like mascot is a snake like those things are interesting and cool to me but I think by also like working with this victim narrative whether consciously or subconsciously she's like excused herself from a lot of important conversations that like needed to be had around like whiteness Mm -hmm. and the music industry and I think like sometimes people forget that she's not like a 16 year old girl anymore she's like a 30 year old woman um and like should be old enough to have conversations about race to not just use her activism aesthetically like in you need to calm down which like uses queer aesthetics Mm -hmm. um as a performative allyship thing and i wish that she would consciously divorce herself from the victim narrative and i'm not saying that she is like saying i'm a victim but like the way in which her career is like the trajectory of it like is just been that and it's aided her for sure aided her for sure and i think like that mixed with like this like very specific portrayal of like white womanhood is, like, emblematic to me of, like, the ways in which, like, white women are excused from these discussions. For sure. And I think she's just, like, 
unfortunately, like, and Miss Americana was really eye-opening to see, but again, it was just, like, she tweeted about voting and then was, like, cheers to the resistance, and I was, like, ma'am, we've been out here, like, <laughs> Like, that was big for you, but there are a lot of other things you could exactly. be doing. It was, like, that's, you know what, I'm happy that you feel empowered in your activism now, but I need you to go further. And like she tweeted like last this past week, I think. Yeah, about the USPS. About the USPS. That was like headline news. And I was like, so now she's positioned herself so that every time she does something activism y, it's gonna be news. And like it'll for me, I'm like, oh no, is this gonna like overshadow other celebrities who are like actually out here like doing real things? Like John Boyega is still like out protesting yeah and like and he's like i might lose my career for this kind of thing and then uh jordan peele's like we got you (laughs) jordan peele's like it is fine my guy like i will cast you so don't be scared but like there are other celebrities like actually like doing stuff like that oh yeah and i think i'm just like taylor i'm really proud of you let's do more now you know I'm almost like conditioned now. I'm realizing because she is so inactive on social media now that when she does post something, it becomes news. Like that's just yeah. how she's aligned herself now. Yeah. So even with the USPS thing, like I, that was a couple of days ago, I look on my phone, I see that she's tweeted and my brain goes, what does she have to say? You oh. know, like, which when I know it's probably going to be another opinion that I've read it a thousand different times about the current events that are happening that I've already formed my own opinion on. But to like be conditioned now to be like, what does she have to say? What's going to happen? Like maybe this will get out. Like Mm -hmm. it's a good thing and a bad thing because it it does, if that's happening to me, who's doing her own research and Mm -hmm. is already trying to be as educated as possible on the subject, it's probably happening to people that aren't as educated on the subject or don't know exactly what's going on or want to know more. That's my hope, at least, is that someone who is a fan of her but isn't as big on current events that has the power to vote, hopefully, will read and do their own research because of what Taylor Swift thinks. That's a very specific niche, I think. And, um, you know, like, it's big for her to do that, and I'm happy that she's doing that now. But it's still fairly few and bar- far between. Even when Kamala Harris was selected, she just retweets something and says yes. And yeah, like I kind of wanted a little more. Like I knew that she was going to vote Democrat because of what she said about Trump and Miss Americana. Like that was obvious. Yeah. Um, and of course Biden isn't our number one, and of course Kamala probably isn't our number one, but. Uh, I wanted a little more, you know? Yeah. I wish we wouldn't be amplifying her very diplomatic, neutral opinions. For me, I think, like, one step towards this is, like, using her platform to amplify Black artists and, like, speaking out about Black Lives Matter. It would be, it would be, like, bare minimum for me. But I'm, like, I wish she could. Like, I wish she could do that but I think like we just talked about like the ways in which like her narrative has aided her and she's not ready to have those conversations I don't know how she would go about doing it but that would be like a very cool thing of her to do yeah she did more than 
she has in the past, which I am happy for. Like for um, Juneteenth, she put, reposted that video um, with permission from, um, I think it was The Root, the news source The Root, uh, explaining what Juneteenth was. And she posted it like on her Instagram. So people know what that is. I mean, she posted the black square for uh, yeah, Blackout like- Tuesday, which wasn't you know, like there, everyone has their thoughts on that. I, I, even I posted the black square and then realizing what it was actually doing, I deleted it because it's wasn't as helpful, but a lot of celebrities did that. And I think she tweeted something. I don't know. I, I have to check on that, but she did more than other celebrities, but not by a lot, you know? Yeah. Uh, Cause there were some celebrities that are just dead silent and you know exactly who those are. I think that, like, I have been getting a lot of my issues with her mixed up with my issues with, like, the music industry as a whole for mm-hmm. being, like, incredibly white. But I think that she is, like, unfortunately, not as a human or just, like, a normal person, but as, like, a public figure, like, is one of those epim- epitomes of, like, white womanhood in the music industry. I hope that as her career continues, I hope that she, like, continues to strip away those narratives that keep her complicit in, like, racism in the music industry, not, like, personally. And I hope that she, like, uses her platform better. I think she's, like, old enough personally. I'm like, I wish you just start now. But if it takes her longer, at least she will do it at all. And I hope that she does. I think that's a good place to, like, end it. You got it, girl. I love it. Um, Kenzie, thank you so much. Thank you, Nita. What's up, bitches? We hope you enjoyed that bonus episode with Kenzie on Taylor Swift. You can follow the Bitch Why Podcast at Bitch Why Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. You can follow me at Nita underscore Thadani. You can follow Gaia at Gaia Rose River. And you can follow our interviewee, Kenzie Wilkin at Kenzie Wilkin on Instagram. Thanks so much for listening. Bye, bitches.